Your Newcastle. Welcome to Your Newcastle podcast, season two. It is a wonderful day to have a discussion about women in leadership. And I have the most amazing guests for the podcast today. We have three female Lord Mayors in Australia joining me today. I'm the fourth. We have Sally Cap, the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Anna Reynolds, the Lord Mayor of Hobart, and Sandy Vashaw, the Lord Mayor of Adelaide, joining me, Nuatali, the Lord Mayor of the City of Newcastle, talking about women in leadership, about local government, and about the challenges and also the opportunities that come with being not just a mayor, but also being a Lord Mayor. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me. I might start with you, Sandy. We know each other well enough that we've travelled, actually, to the United States together as part of Bloomberg Philanthropy's work in leadership and the leadership initiative they partnered with Harvard to deliver to a lot of mayors throughout not just the US, but also throughout the world. And we were the only two cities involved in that program. And it was wonderful to for me here in New South Wales and the city of Newcastle to get to talk to you and your journey to becoming the Lord Mayor of Adelaide. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yes, well, I'm the accidental Lord Mayor, as I like to call it. It wasn't in my plan in terms of going into either local government or certainly not at, at this level. But it's it's sort of one door led to another, led to another, led to another. And I've enjoyed this role so much. It is such a privilege to be Lord Mayor of your city and to actually have a look at all of the challenges and all of the challenges that we've each had to face, particularly in the last 12 to 18 months. I still every day reflect on how privileged I am to be in this role and how much we've got done. I loved doing the Bloomberg stuff. And Sally, I think you're teeing up to do the Bloomberg as well. It was an extraordinary experience. And also looking at where Australia fits into the scheme of the world. There were, I think, 13 Lord Mayors not from the US, the rest are from the US. And so we were really looking at globally and the challenges were the same. The leadership challenges, the things that we have to take on, the way we need to talk to our citizens, the way we need to look at innovation, the challenges were the same globally. And I think that's also happened again through COVID-19 and our responses is understanding that, you know, the challenges that each of us is facing is is actually brings us together and particularly um, with Anna and Sally being part of the Capital City Council of Lord Mayors, we had weekly discussions in terms of exchanging advice and what we were doing because we're all dealing, as you were Natalie, dealing with things like you know, our retail sectors closing down, our work sectors closing down, homelessness, climate action, all the things that we have to do as Lord Mayors. So it's been really... Um, fantastic to do that. For you, Sandy, it's my understanding you're only the third woman in Adelaide's 178-year history to be elected as the Lord Mayor of Adelaide. And I know that you're very passionate about arts and cultural festivals. You used to produce the Adelaide Festival of Ideas, um, Splash Adelaide, the night markets. So you've been very involved in your local community there. And you've also just been named the third most livable city in the entire world. And this is all under your leadership. 
Yeah, that was a huge accolade. I'd, I'd love to take credit for that, but I'm so pleased that I'm in the chair when we got <laughs> it. But and sorry, sorry to the rest of Australia. But um, and it was extraordinary that we had, I think, five cities in the top ten. I mean, it really is. The world is looking to Australia uh, at the moment because we've all proven that we can manage our challenges in this way. And we we all know that Australia is an amazing place. That's why we all live here. So it's been wonderful. And yes, being the uh, only third in 175 years has its own little challenges. And the one that humours me the most is that there's no title for the husband of a female Lord Mayor. And so you know, I call him the Lady Mayoress. <laughs> That's funny because I did the same thing to my husband. Then someone pointed out some protocol to me and said that they're actually a consort. I'm not sure if that is the right term. Feeling social? Follow City of Newcastle on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Do you find, and I might put this to everybody after I've done an introduction as well, that people call you the Lady Mayoress all the time? Yes, or the Lady Mayor, or the, yep. they actually don't know how to how to address you. I think that's the hardest thing is that they, they keep trying to change it and go, no, it's Lord Mayor, and they, they find that really challenging. Yeah, I've had the same experience. What, you're the Lord Mayor? Yes, apologies. <laughs> I know I don't look like a lord, <laughs> but that's uh, the title that everyone's had that's done this role before me. Sally, it's wonderful to also have you joining us from the city of Melbourne. Like Sandy and Anna, you were elected in 2018. And I know that you have been balancing your current policy issues for Melbourne, which is you know one of Australia's most iconic cities, uh, with all also looking to the future and trying to balance the needs of right now and planning for the future. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey? Good. Well, thank you for having me as part of this podcast. It's been great discussion already, so pleased to be involved. I am somebody that is new to local government. I came in in 2018 from outside local government. I think I was one of those people that really took this level of government for granted for most of my life. I didn't really understand or appreciate the breadth and diversity of issues that we lead on, partner on or deliver. And of course, an amazing richness in terms of the diversity of people that we represent. I got involved because I'm a passionate Melbourneian and I've found there are a set of circumstances that really drove me to uh, put my hand up. Nothing that I'd ever considered doing before. I really recommend it to other people. I've sort of become an evangelist for uh, (laughs) participating in local government. And I think, though, that at the core of it, you have to be able to find that passion. You have to have some issues that you feel so strongly about that you're willing to put your hand up into the face of public scrutiny of uh, at times unreasonable uh, and unjust feedback and I guess a weight of matters that come through your door, which is what local government is about. We're the closest level of government to people. We get that full-on breadth and depth of, of issues that come through the door. And because we're so close to the community, uh, literally you walk down the street and you've got people giving you ideas or giving you feedback and there's an overwhelming nature to that. So you really need to have identified those issues that you feel passionate about 
and use those to really motivate and drive yourself forward. But as Sandy said, I've come to realise that for all of that, they actually then help make this job the most rewarding, that sense of delivery, of making a difference and connection to a level that I've never experienced in any other job before and uh, something I feel really a privilege to be able to experience. I think that's an amazing description of what it is like to be a Lord Mayor. And you've captured the essence of that real sense of purpose in community, but also sometimes the overwhelming nature of the expectation of the community of what you can do in local government. And you in 2018 have had to come in from what I can see from being in New South Wales and the outside into quite a tumultuous situation, really take strong leadership and actually move Melbourne and the city of Melbourne into a new phase. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect for how difficult that is because in Newcastle in 2014, I had a a similar situation. But I'm not in a capital city and, you know, not a city that's also experienced a very tough 18 months. What did you draw on to get through those early days in 2018? And are they any similar to what you've had to draw on in recent times? I think so. I, and uh, as you said, there were tumultuous circumstances into which I became Lord Mayor. But in a way, I'm so grateful because if it hadn't been for those circumstances, I may never have even considered getting involved. But with those tumultuous circumstances comes change. And whenever there is change, we need leadership. And that leadership can take many forms, from personal leadership to organisational leadership. And what I've found, of course, none of us realised we were going to be leading through a pandemic. And it is an unprecedented situation. But of course, when you've faced hardship, when you've faced times of change, and particularly where that change has had a very public lens, I think they're all experiences that can really help with what we're going through now. To me, one of the uh, key elements is I'm somebody that enjoys change, I should say that. I'm not daunted by change. And sometimes you come across barriers where people are very resistant to change, uh, whether it's just being happy in a comfort zone or it's genuine fear about what is being faced. As somebody who enjoys it, I have to be mindful of actually taking the time to be as empathetic as possible, to understand all of those situations and responses and to be prepared for supporting people through those situations. And the level of support that we've needed to provide in the local community for people facing hardship as a result of the pandemic is enormous. And so that capacity to manage through change and through difficult circumstances is important. But I was just going to mention one other thing and then I will stop talking. And that is a sense of resolve. At the end of the day, one of the vital elements for leaders is being able to make decisions when there's actually no clear way forward or where either alternative seems almost equally as valid or there are equally bad outcomes from a decision, but you know, you've got to make it anyway. The 49, 51% where everything is grey and murky Those are the situations where leaders really need to stand up with resolve and have the fortitude and the character to really step into those situations and be able to lead other people with you. And there have been so many examples of that since I've been Lord Mayor, whether it was the circumstances of change around internal culture and addressing big social issues like sexual harassment through to this pandemic 
uh, of addressing um, programs of support, advocacy to other levels of government uh, and creating visions for the future. Uh, it really is that capacity and willingness to make decisions. And I think one of the really good silver linings for us at the City of Melbourne as a result of COVID has been that we've had to try things. We've had to experiment. We've had to do pilots and we've had to take risks. And it's been in an environment where that's been allowed and it's been accepted that we might do things that aren't quite right, but it's worth having a go because everything's worth having a go at the moment. I'm really pleased with the way that as individuals and as an organisation, we've been very agile. We've really pirouetted to respond. And some things have worked really well, like our outdoor dining program, which was delivered in record time at scale and showed us that we can turn around permits in 24 hours <laughs> uh, through to bigger legacy issues like accelerating the delivery of protected bicycle lanes across the city. Not always popular still, uh, but something that we believe makes us a more livable city for decades to come. You know, some really good ways of us delivering on programs that might otherwise not have been possible. And we've shown it can actually be done. That's fantastic advice. And, I, and it's fascinating to me to hear directly from you those challenges that you you see to leadership and what actually needs to be done and I just note that I believe there are five female Lord Mayors in Australia four of them are talking now and I couldn't not mention one of the trailblazers for female Lord Mayors in Clover Moore and her work in terms of being very forthright in ensuring livability and cycleways are being delivered through the city of Sydney which has you know I think been really important for their for their growth as well. Your Newcastle is changing daily and we care about you. Have your say at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. Just in context, before I introduce Anna, Lord Mayor's different to mayors for a, in a number of different reasons, but at the city of Newcastle, it was bestowed upon the city in the 40s by King George. And I'm sure each city has its own trajectory to how they went from a mayoralty to a Lord mayoralty. But long story short, every capital city has a Lord Mayor in Australia and the city of Newcastle, city of Parramatta and the city of Wollongong. So in terms of that particular title and role, it is quite a, a small group of people. And I would imagine that this is the first time in Australia's history that five of us have been females and I think your resolve and your understanding of you know how to make empathetic decisions that are not always going to be the most popular decision but actually move the city along is something that I can relate to and I imagine that uh, Sandy as well as Anna could relate to. Introducing you Anna I've had the good fortune of working with you on ICLE, so that's Local Governments for Sustainability, a UN group that covers the Oceania region. And it was really great to meet you through that network that's actually auspiced out of the city of Melbourne. So we have all these wonderful connections between us anyway. But 
You are also the daughter of the former Queensland Federal Labor Senator, Margaret Reynolds, uh, who was a federal minister for local government and Bob Hawke's minister assisting the status of women in the late 1980s. A real trailblazer for women in leadership. Did you follow in those footsteps or I can see that you've carved out your own path, particularly in regards to your advocacy on climate change? You have such an impressive career in that space and you're such a wonderful advocate for change that is being led by local government. Oh, thanks, Noatali. I guess when it comes to my my upbringing and uh, like all children, you don't necessarily mean to follow the path of your, uh, your parents. In fact, you want to rebel against it, but something just comes through osmosis and, you know, obviously the radio's on all the time and people are talking about politics at home and, and do pick up things. For many years, though, I, I guess I was in that generation that people, the, the was the, the growth of the NGO sector uh, and NGOs have really boomed in, in the last 20 or 30 years. And so I was much more drawn to working and advocacy through the not-for-profit sector rather than politics. And uh, like a lot of people in my generation and still uh, are more drawn to carrying out their change through that not-for-profit charity sector. So I had a career in environmental organisations as a lobbyist and an advocate, and I worked as a, a manager of, of international programs with WWF and across the Asia-Pacific. And that was all really interesting work and very fulfilling work. And just to write very strong focus on climate change in the early days when we were just trying to raise awareness about it. There was a point at which I remember coming out of a lobbying meeting and I think one of the people I put a lot of effort into, a decision maker I put a lot of effort into at one stage, basically turned around and resigned one day and I just thought, oh, no, I've got to start all over again with the, with the next minister in that particular topic. And then it was another time I remember sitting opposite a politician trying to persuade them about the importance of climate change. And I just thought, I could do this kind of work. Like, why am I sort of constantly trying to um, be the, persuade the decision maker? Why don't I just try and be a decision maker myself? So that's how I sort of switched and decided I would actually run for election. And the reason I ran for local government was really because of, again, that climate change connection, just looking particularly I had been feeling a little bit disillusioned about the treaty system. I was involved in the international treaty system and just looking at what was happening at a very practical level, particularly in US City, and just reading about that, I was quite inspired by all of the very practical things that cities could do on, on climate change. So that's where I started really thinking about that as a place to get work done. And now, obviously, in the role, you're, you're, the, the amazing thing about working as a mayor is that you, you might be dealing with ambassadors and international climate change networks and potholes and a visit from an old people's home to have a tour of town hall all in one day. And that diversity of the day and the diversity of the experience of the mayor is actually really amazing. Like, it means you can't focus deeply on things as you might as a policy wonk um, or a, an advocate in a particular area, but you're very grounded and you're always able to uh, balance how uh, issues are going to resonate in a whole range of audiences. So it is a real privilege, as the others have said, to, to have this opportunity to work in a role that provides so much exposure to interesting issues, but also so much, so it's, it's so grounded and so practical. 
Discovering your Newcastle is easy. Download the City of Newcastle app to keep up to date with what's happening in your city. Tell us something about yourself in terms of that you've brought to this role as Lord Mayor of the City of Hobart that people might not know. I can ask Sandy and Sally the same question. Most people know my cultural background because I did work for 20 years in arts and culture as the CEO of the Adelaide Festival, Adelaide Fringe, and worked on all of the big sort of cultural events that came to Adelaide. But what people found surprising is that if I went back just a little bit before that, I worked for a property group called Delphin. They found it very hard, when, particularly when I was speaking to the property council, Sally, you'd like this, and I was at a round table with property council and I started actually talking about people that I'd worked with and what I'd done. And they sort of all looked at me and go, but you're the, you're the arts lady, like you're the, you're the person that works in festivals. And I go, well, before that, <laughs> I worked in shopping centre management and ran, you know, Rundle Mall and Smith Street Mall and I worked all around the country with my boss. So, it, yeah, so it was, that was really interesting that they didn't, they sort of hadn't thought of me in a very commercial way which is also intriguing because, you know, some of the people that are most innovative in terms of their business practice uh, work in arts and culture, but they don't really think of arts and culture as businesses. So it was quite interesting to watch their reaction to that. Sally, is there something interesting around your background, not just work history, even personal, that people get surprised about when they meet you as a Lord Mayor of Melbourne? Not many people know that I was born overseas <gasps> and- of Australian parents, but born overseas. And we came back when I was very young, but I have very, very distinct memories of what it's like to land in a city and start afresh. All of those uh, elements of excitement and hope, but also concern and anxiety as my dad looked for work and my mother also was looking Mm. for work and finding housing and creating new networks and and building those foundations. And I think that gives me a little bit of insight, um, particularly to some of our communities who are new migrant communities. And I I have a real appreciation for that sort of pioneering, adventurous spirit of people coming into a brand new city. I've also lived in many other cities around the world during my life. So I, I really get how daunting that can be, but ultimately also how fulfilling that can be. The other thing I was going to say is that I've had my own business before as a small business person, and I know what it's like to worry about the payroll and making rent and trying to come up with new ideas and having to try to communicate that and try to find new customers and and all of those things that our small businesses particularly go through every day. And the hardship at the moment of just trying to work out what reserves do you have financially, particularly to be able to keep your teams going and keep doors open and that energy and effort that's required, that real determination and persistence And I'm hugely admiring of people that have had their own businesses and uh, particularly those that are finding ways to operate in ingenious ways sometimes to operate during these circumstances. So being a small business owner uh, has really stood me in good stead in lots of ways. It seems like those elements of working backgrounds or our own personal lives all come to the fore. And that's why I think it's great having a mix of backgrounds and genders and, you know, telling people, oh, I was born overseas. I could imagine, you know, you'd have such a broad range of reactions. What what country were you born in? Papua New Guinea. Oh, that's fantastic. And how old were you when you came to Australia? I came back when I was six. 
so still very young. Um, yeah. But as I very distinct memories of, of uh, what the family situation was at the time. So I'm assuming your parents were Australians working in government over there and then when the handover happened, you actually came back. I have, and I'm not sure if Anna knows this, if I've talked about this in our Local Governments for Sustainability meetings, which I think I have, my name, Nuatali, is from the Solomon. So my grandmother was born in the Solomon Islands and the western side, which is the Melanesian side, the same side as Papua New Guinea in terms of ethnic origin. So I I know those islands and that culture well, although I wouldn't have been to where you were born, I can imagine the cultural change from Papua New Guinea back probably in the 70s or was it the 60s and coming then to live in Australia. That would have been a really big change. I think that probably a wonderful way to shape leadership for you in the city of Melbourne. Anna, have you had thinking time down there in sunny Hobart? And I guess I've been a bit inspired by Sandy and, and Sally's comments just about background I think people presume that when you're the mayor of the city the Lord Mayor of a city you've always lived here so I think the fact that we've all got these stories of journeys um, is is really significant my journey is that I am a blow-in and I'm, I have to admit that I am a blow-in to Tasmania and that's in Tasmania that is sometimes um, not appreciated because it hasn't been a place where there's been lots of coming and going and particularly in leadership roles it seems like how did, how did that person who's a blow-in get into this, into this important role but Tasmania is changing and uh, more of us are coming here and getting involved in leadership roles and I think that's good to have the, the mix of people but I, I was actually brought up in Townsville and my parents are Tasmanian so I, I call myself generationally Tasmanian but I'm actually a North Queensland, uh, had a North Queensland childhood and then came to Tasmania in 2009 after living in Sydney and before Sydney in Broome. So my two children were born in Broome and in Sydney and uh, my partner and I really enjoyed travelling to different parts of Australia and the world for work, professional work uh, in a period of time. Uh, but there was a point in time we just wanted to be in a, a, a city that was that was human scale and and friendly and uh, affordable and down to earth and Hobart was the one that seemed like the right place at the right time and really I guess me getting into this role in some ways I was the right person in the right place at the right time because I think Hobartians are looking for that uh, progressive and fresh approach and and they were really keen to elect me. So I was very thrilled with that. It is really interesting for me to hear about your different journeys into a role, particularly local government. We're all part of the Australian Local Government Association and, and our respective South Australian, Tasmanian, Victorian, New South Wales, local government associations and groups. We are always and have been given uh, research over many years around the lack of diversity of representation in local government. That sort of filters through into the administration often and also the challenges that are, f- are faced by you know different backgrounds, even just women being involved in local government. Has there been any particular challenges to any of you 
just due to your gender uh, being involved or in your day-to-day role as Lord Mayors? When I ran for Lord Mayor, there were 11 candidates for Lord Mayor and I think nine of those were men and and not particularly diverse, well, very little in terms of diversity from other perspectives as well. Seven of those people are still sitting around the table. So in in our system in Tasmania, you can run for mayor and elected member. So that does lead to some tensions and a sense that people aren't really happy that uh, a competitor is in that role. It can be challenging that there's a sense of, and particularly if you want to, do want to bring in change, there is a view that, oh, you know, this, this is all about a change that this particular person is wanting to put in place and, and we've never done it that way and we've always done it this way. So... You know, there can be some resistance to that process of change of women getting into politics and getting into more leadership roles is a change for many people. And so sometimes people are quite uncomfortable with that. Uh, but I guess it is just about yeah, being patient and, and being having that resolve that Sally was talking about and, and not getting sort of knocked off course or being too taking things too personally. That you just, it is just that journey of change that we're all part of. Feeling social? Follow City of Newcastle on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. It seems a common theme in talking to you three today that I can relate to, that we've come into these roles at a time where there is community expectation that there will be change and been given and handed that task to actually implement that change, which you know creates a, a huge amount of opportunity. But some of those challenges that we've all been given to implement that change, sometimes I think it's interesting to me that for me here in the city of Newcastle, that all the years of you know previous leadership that was probably a more traditional group of people in local government, that that change was never able to be enacted. And it seems it's very similar in Hobart, exceptionally similar for you, Sally, in Melbourne, and also knowing the challenges and the work that you've done, Sandy, in Adelaide. And I can see in you know one of our colleagues in Clover in Sydney, the change that she has even long before our time, actually had to come up against, you know, in the heart of Sydney to implement change in the city, that the community think, well, it's time for change and we're going to hand it over to these capable women to get the job done. And is there been particular challenges in terms of gender for you, Sally? Gosh, in terms of gender, nothing particularly comes to mind, but I I think overall we still have big challenges around gender. And certainly the circumstances by which there was an election at the time I came in uh, really spoke to uh, organisational culture around gender and how much work we still have to do. And of course, it's not just gender, it's sexuality and ethnicity and religion and uh, multicultural backgrounds. That sense of inclusion and creating environments and where people not only feel safe, but they feel that they're being supported to realise their full potential that there aren't barriers, whether they're systemic or invisible uh, or they're uh, real and in your face. And so for us, it's been, and for me, it's been a real focus because uh, for us to be able to go out into the community and talk about these issues, and there are many programs we run where we're promoting inclusion and we are uh, talking about uh, belonging and uh, overcoming these barriers. But if we're not doing it well ourselves, then that 
it becomes inauthentic and less credible and less impactful. One area with gender is very much around examining all of the really obvious things like pay parity and, and making sure there's an equal sense, uh, not just sense, but equal opportunity, that we're doing our best to make sure that women have the opportunities to enter the organisation, be promoted and supported. Uh, but one area that I'm chairing at the moment at Town Hall, which is something I feel really passionate about as well, is our Aboriginal and traditional custodian uh, identity, culture, influence, and the uh, way in which we take what is incredibly distinctive from a global perspective, but has been disrespected and ignored and worse, of course, here locally, uh, to me, making really big steps forward under our Reconciliation Action Plan and showing that we've really moved the dial on how we can govern with our traditional custodians and do that well would make a, a really big paradigm shift across so many other elements of our business. Just in hearing you articulate that vision for Melbourne, it fills me, even though I'm not Victorian, it all matters. It matters our capital cities, our regions, and how our country responds holistically to these challenges really matter to everybody. And we all want to make sure that it's not a piecemeal type approach. And the description around being constantly connected to our communities in local government and us being at the the real the coalface of making those changes, whether it is around our climate action plans, whether it's around our reconciliation and our Indigenous employment strategies. And sometimes that is the real joy of local government because you we are all just making those changes because they're right next to us and we can see the immediate effects on community. I don't know if you get the same sometimes frustrations that I get around I'm one step removed in not being in a capital city around other levels of government. I'm going, look what we're doing in our cities. Surely you can take that lead and you know listen to your local communities across the states or across the nation and implement those changes because look we're doing it in local government whether it's on all of these really important issues that really matter to our communities why can't you take that leap and the lobbying that Anna talked about and the change of ministers and you know not being able to get that follow through I'm going into almost seven years in this role and sometimes I, I, get, I can get really frustrated. So it's wonderful to connect with you and feel that passion and that sense of unity from other leaders, particularly female leaders in this role. And I, Sandy, got a lot from you when we did the Harvard Bloomberg course, being the only two Lord Mayors and the only two Mayors essentially from Australia. And the similarities of the challenges you face in Adelaide to the challenges we also face in, in Newcastle. Was there any particular challenge that you came across similar to Sally and Anna in questioning around gender when you came into the role? Well, when I was elected in a by-election in 2015, it was the first time there'd been gender equity in the chamber in, in history, um, wow. which was amazing to me. Like, so some of those still do my head in, you know, as you said, third only in 178 years. But I, I agree with Sally, it's not just gender, it's diversity, and we're working really, really hard. I also uh, co-chair with uh, the Yvonne Aegis, the Reconciliation Committee, and uh, there was a, a, an event that happened two weeks ago, which I have to say, 
you know, we have so many things, extraordinary things that we're part of as Lord Mayors, but this will continue to be probably one of the highlights of my term, and that is we did a, a cultural burn in the Adelaide Parklands. And it's been 240 years since the Ghana nation has actually done a cultural burn, a traditional burn in the parklands, which, you know, it seems so extraordinary to like, I find it really hard to process things like that. And it really was around working with the Reconciliation Committee and talking about how we can bring back knowledge, how we can bring back tradition, what is meaningful. And it was an incredibly emotional day. It was absolutely brilliant. And hopefully uh, in terms of trying to bring Ghana into the land management was a, a wonderful way to, to connect with communities. And that's probably be, you know, these moments of joy that you get or bliss. But I think the main thing is that whether it's, I don't think it's because we're women. I think it's because we are who we are. But we are all change agents. It's very, very clear from the conversation and very clear from me having met all of you and Clover that we are change agents and we are, I think, an arm of government that is the best delivery agent for so many things. And so whether you talk climate or whether you talk reconciliation or whether you actually talk recovery, which we're all dealing with in terms of trying to reimagine our cities and the recovery, particularly of our, our retail hospitality sectors um, and tourism and, you know, arts and culture. Like, we are at the forefront. We are coalface. And what we are able to do is move very quickly to, to try and get things happening on the ground. I'll share your frustration with other levels of government because they, they don't move, even though people might look at local government and think that we move slowly, the other levels of government tend to move a little bit more slowly than we do. So I think that the best thing that they could do is actually understand and see what we do and actually resource us up to deliver more on the ground. I couldn't agree more or put it in better terms, Sandy. I think it's an amazing time for Australia to have leaders like the three of you in your respective cities. And I feel really privileged to be able to talk to you today, even though it's a virtual conversation. I can't wait for the time that we can all get together in the same room because I think together united, we can actually walk that change and maybe help our colleagues and other parties parliaments, whether state or federal, actually see the value of local government and how we are not just agents for change, but also agents for delivery, as you put it. I know I've almost probably run out of all my time to talk to you today, but thank you so much to Anna, to Sally, to you, Sandy. It's wonderful to catch up with you. Much appreciated. That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. 